The Fried Egg Superintendent Series is brought to you by Toro. Among the countless reasons why we go to the course, communing with Mother Nature sits near the top of most lists. And the company most trusted to responsibly maintain our golf environments, Toro, continues to lead the way. Its line of all-electric and hybrid mowers and vehicles do their jobs as well as ever. Better, actually, because while their precision, power, reliability, and comfort remain the same, this new breed reduces engine exhaust emissions, noise pollution, and increases efficiency and ease of maintenance. If only our golf swings were that productive and sustainable. Follow at ToroGolf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our Superintendent Series. Today's episode is with Tyler Marcotte. Tyler is the head superintendent, the growing superintendent at Brambles. This is a new golf course that's being built in Middletown, California, uh, which is just north of Napa Valley. So it is in Lake County, uh, and it is a new core and Crenshaw design. I think the unique thing here and why I wanted to talk with Tyler is the maintenance approach that they're going for at Brambles. It's very old world. Uh, it is going to be, you know, low input grass. It's, they're going to try and water as little as possible, which is obviously relevant with the weather and drought uh, that's going on in California. And they are also uh, using sheep to hopefully maintain the rough areas. So just kind of a unique job. You're you're going he's not only a you know superintendent but he's also going to be managing a flock of sheep. So it was exciting to talk to Tyler about his experience uh and and going to really brand new experience. He's a younger superintendent that is now growing in a uh you know a course that people are excited to see. So without further ado, here is Tyler and thank you for listening to another episode of the Friday. Tyler, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, do you live now up in uh, in in the Napa area, or do, are you living in Middleton? Where Where do you reside when you you know when you take this job at Brambles? Where did you decide to to live? I'm in Middletown now. Uh, the company actually has a couple houses that they rent um, that me and my fiance are staying in for now, and then we're actually in the process of putting some offers in on houses over in the Hidden Valley Lake area. So. Try to make it as permanent as possible as soon as possible. Man, a lot of change. You got you got fiance. You got house buying. You got you got growing in a golf course. This has got to be a wild time in your life. There's a lot of stuff going on. Luckily, I've been in. We've been engaged for about four years, coming in October. So it's been put off with a bunch of moves and COVID and all that. So that's the easiest part right now. Is the date set? No, it is not. <laughs> That's it. So no date set. You're just uh, you're you're in the honeymoon period. You're just uh, that's great. H- how did uh, how did you get into turf? Uh, well, I started out back in Pennsylvania. I was working at a Schuylkill Country Club just in the pro shop. And then I ended up wanting some more hours. Shifted over. I was doing 
maintenance crew and pro shop for a while. And then my time just kind of shifted to more, more and more maintenance. So I was working full-time maintenance and I kind of got away from the pro shop a little bit and ended up going to school and transferring from my first school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, up to Penn state and off and running from there. So while you were in that intermix, was it an intentional shift into turf? Was there something about turf that, that made it kind of resonated with you more than the pro shop? No, it was actually just, I was in college and high school and I just need a little bit of extra money and kind of fell in love with it and loved being outside and seeing the other side of it and just kind of gravitated that way. And I've been hooked ever since. Nice. Talk, talk about your kind of your early experience in turf and, and how you ended up getting over to uh, to Brambles. So I started out just changing cups. I was the only real golfer on the maintenance crew back in those days. So I was changing cups and raking bunkers and the, the normal stuff that young guys were doing. Um, and then I ended up once I got to Penn State, I did a couple internships, uh, one over at National Golf Links and then one at Clear Creek Tahoe. Uh, ended up going back to Clear Creek Tile. I was there for five seasons from 2016 through 2020. Um, I worked my way up there from an intern to eventually uh, we made myself the golf course superintendent under director of grounds, Mike Cuniff, which I left last season to go down and take my first head job down in Albuquerque. And this opened up and James and the guys here were familiar with Mike because it's core Crenshaw as well over at Clear Creek. So they called me and, I came up, walked it a couple times, and here we are. Man, talk about a, wi- a wide range of experiences there. Just like th- throw out, you got so a question that a lot of people ask me is like, is turf a area specific thing? Like, you know, if I if if we're looking for a new superintendent, should we be looking for somebody that's from the area, or can you transition to different areas? And right there, you talk about your experiences. You know, you grew up in the Northeast or in the transition zone, really, in Philadelphia area. And then you moved into uh, National Golf Links as an intern, which is obviously Long Island, different area. Then you were in Lake Tahoe area, which has got to be a pretty unique climate. And then you went down to Albuquerque before coming back to the, you know, uh, to kind of an arid climate at Bramble. So tell, uh, talk about maybe kind of um, the differences between national golf links to Tahoe to Albuquerque is where we could kind of start. I did a brief stint in Florida too, just to round off all the corners. Um, but, uh, <laughs> all right. You're, you're a man no, of the country. Every, it's, every uh, it's been fun. You know, we're this job it's, it's lucky enough that there's enough golf courses around. And when I was coming out of school, um, the assistant shortage was really kind of taking place and everyone needed assistance and, and it was hard to get them. There weren't as many guys graduating. So, if you knew what you were doing and you and you wanted to travel, you had all the opportunity in the world to get around and, and see different courses, see different climates, see different areas. Um, so I, I took full advantage of it and I, I go around wherever I can. And my mom always jokes she has a new place to visit all the time because I, I haven't been sitting still for too long. But as far as the golf side, it's, it's just cool to see the difference. Uh, the climates is one thing and the different grasses and how, how things are maintained in different areas. But more or less it's how things are how things are done and how things are run from designer to designer to style of course to style of course you know i've been on everything from daily municipal 45 or not municipal but daily play 45,000 rounds a year to about 6,000 rounds a year 
Um, so there's a lot of differences and it's cool to see and be a part of all of it. Yeah. And talk about that a little bit, uh, you know, from the, the, uh, the busy public to the, the very private, you know, with, you might only see a couple golfers a day. How does that change the, you know, the maintenance crew's job and, and what kind of like the, what the, the atmosphere is within the team and everything? It's a lot. Efficiency is key in those, in those fast paced tons of golf. I mean, there's, when I was down in Albuquerque, it was middle of the summer. That first group hit 18 green and there was three groups a hole until the end of the day. And that's in the middle of the COVID boom huh, too. So it's extra yeah. busy, right? Yeah. So if you want to get something done on the first fairway, some project or anything, you better be there at 3 a.m. and cranking it out because you're not going to get back to it and you're not going to have time to get there. It's a lot of sitting around the guy. It's, it's hard to find stuff for the guys to do in the afternoon. Cause obviously you want to be weary of golfers and not be too much of a nuisance. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of tricky to find stuff to keep them busy with important jobs as well as keeping them out of the way as much as we can. Was that, was that a tough adjustment coming from like Clear Creek where probably a lot less rounds, seasonal place, you know, Albuquerque, I'm assuming you got golf pretty much year round. It's year round depending on the weather. So they'll close for a couple of days at a time, depending on a snowstorm. But if, if it's playable, there's people playing. How, how is Albuquerque compared to Tahoe weather wise? Is, is there a lot of similarities actually? There are, there are more than you would think. It gets hotter for sure. It's a little bit more humid, um, but that, the heat is more or less what, what is higher. The elevation's about the same, um, so your UV and all that stuff's about the same, but it definitely gets closer to 100 in Albuquerque than it does in Tahoe. How do, does elevation have a big impact on maintenance? I, this is something that I, I don't, you know, I, I've played very little mountain golf in my life and, and, you know, I just, I genuinely curious how, what it's like maintaining in, in mountains. It can. I mean, I noticed in Tahoe for sure. Once I got out there, I mean, you're higher up, you're closer to the sun, things bake out, UV lights a little bit higher. Um, it just a little bit dries out a little bit faster. It gets hotter faster. What type of grasses are you, are, were you dealing with there? That was all cool season. So we were a mix of bluegrass fairways and then bent grass teas and greens. And then what time of year would you, you're, you're obviously like in Tahoe, you got ski, but then it gets super hot in the summer. Um, and, but it's dry. What, what was your season like in Tahoe? So we opened usually at the end of April. I think they just opened a couple weekends ago. Um, they opened early May, end of April, and then they shut down at the end of October. Gotcha. So it's a pretty short season. It's a it's a sprint up there. That's what we call it. Some some places are marathons, and this that was a sprint. And so then you go down to somewhere where it's pretty much year round. You, you know, as the superintendent, which one do you prefer? Because obviously, you know, there's it's. You know, depending on what part of the country and you, you deal with the, you know, where you're going to be, where you are now, Brambles will be a year round thing. Um, but then, you know, you'll, you go to Tahoe and it's just, it's a sprint. So which one would you, which one do you prefer having had experience in all of them? I think I like the year round. It's just, you can't, it's uh, easier to get into a groove more or less than, that May 1st hits and bam, you have a thousand things to do and you only have so much time to get it done and get it done properly to, to provide those conditions that people want. 
Um, when it's year round, you kind of have that, that little bit of leeway where you don't have two months to make something work. You have a little bit of time and you can find your groove and find your times to do things without having that, that really short season to make it work. I imagine with, with the superintendent job, uh, with it, when it's in that year round phase, one of the hurdles is, is almost like a personal one where you, you accepting it's okay to be away because I feel like so many people, you know, I'm in the Midwest. So so many are, are part of the sprint and it's just, you know, my job's insane for five months and I accept that. And then it, it, you know, then I have some, some freedom and flexibility, but when you're in that year round thing, it's so much of it is about becoming okay with yourself stepping away for a little while. Yeah. And it's, you have to surround yourself with the right people for sure. Um, we've ha- I have here, I have my assistant Ryan, who's been awesome and he's been fantastic. So if there's ever time that one of us needs to get away, we can both rely on the other one um, to keep things running and keep things smooth. It's the same thing we had in, in Tahoe. We had a couple of assistants and we were okay getting away for a little while, not during the season, but we have, had enough people to cover what was going on, which was always good. How, how's the staffing worked with you? Obviously Brambles, it's not open yet. And you're, you're, I imagine in a way you're building your team as opposed to most superintendents kind of go and they inherit teams. What, what's that experience been like where you're getting to kind of shape your team? It's, it's awesome because we have a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, I've noticed in, in the industry, a lot of you people got, people know people that want jobs and, you bring them in, you meet them, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And we've been very fortunate. It started off, it was myself and my assistant. We came on at about the same time. Um, we brought two guys on, and they knew people, and we have a crew of seven now um, outside of myself and my assistant. And then we have a mechanic starting in a couple of weeks, and that's more or less what we plan to be our full round or full year-round team moving forward. Um, we don't want we don't want a 40 person crew or a, a massive crew. We want to do things in house and do things small and have a small team of people that can do everything instead of five people that just mow and six people that just do bunkers and all these people floating around. We, we're trying to keep it as small and more family style. Yeah. I, I mean, the nice thing too is that it breaks up monotony, right? Where you, you can do a lot of different things. I, I think that's one of the neatest things about, being a superintendent is like, you know, it could be a blessing and a curse is like, you don't know what the day is bringing you when you go to the golf course, you know, especially, especially here when you're growing one in things change, things change every hour around here, which is, it's fun. It's chaotic, but it's the good chaos. It's not trying to trying to fix a sprinkler before that first group's teeing off. Um, but it's fun. Is this your first time growing in a golf course? Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about that experience. And, uh, you know, it, it, obviously, you know, I think most people look at it and be like, that's got to be a lot of fun. But, you know, let us in a little bit about how that's different from, you know, your your experience as a young superintendent. You know, you got your first head solo job a year ago, and now you're growing in a, a, a new golf course. It's, it's definitely fun. It's like I said, it's very chaotic. There's a bunch of different things that you don't, that I've never had to deal with in my day-to-day career that I have to now, Um, whether that be different types of equipment that we're using, we're putting in the electrical pads for the new maintenance shop, just things that I haven't really dealt with before that I get to do now. And we haven't had a mechanic here. So 
learned a lot of mechanics, learned a lot of mechanic stuff in the past couple of months and it's been great. I'm glad I learned how to do it and know how to do it, but what's, what's been the, what's been the toughest uh, mechanical hurdle that you've had to overcome? It's gotta be the old, the old equipment that we have out here. It runs like a dream when it's running, but it wants to break. It wants to break real easily. Um, now we got the grind, we got the grinders fired up and it's, it's been fun to say the least. So the approach to brambles, I, I think obviously people think destination golf. They think about like ritzy, you know, you go, you go to this experience and it's, you're there and everything is like, you know, beyond five, there's a couple different ways to think about destination golf. Right. And one of the ways is you go to this, this place and it's beyond five star, um, the conditioning is, is mint. And, you know, I think you'll probably get to that with the conditioning is going to be mint, but I think the approach and, and overall, um, you know, ethos of the club is a little bit different than that over the top kind of experience. Can you talk about how that is coming through with the maintenance and the grassing decisions and everything at, at Brambles, how it's different from, other new golf courses well so right now i mean we like you said the word like mint uh mint for us is a lot different than than what most people would think of you know it's not going to look as as maintained as i think a lot of places expect we're gonna we're going for that rustic that on the brink of death firm and fast kind of vibe that we want but for right now we just got to get the grass in so it's going to come in green it's going to come in healthy um, we're going to be doing all the fertilizing, all the watering. And then once it's established, we're going to really, really pull back on it and see what it can do and let it bake out, let it firm up and and let it be firm fast. And we're going for playability more so than aesthetic. So as long as things are playing well and they're healthy, we're going to we're going to push it and see what we can get away with. So that process where you're, you know, you're giving your giving the grass a lot of inputs at the start to get it to establish. But then once that establishes in, then you're going to go the complete opposite direction of that growing kind of ethos. Is is that challenging in a way like, you know, it, I, I'm not an expert on, on turf, you know, I, I probably know just a little too much at this point where I'm, I'm the worst person you could have giving any advice, but you know, is that difficult? Like, is that a hard thing to do or is it, is it, or does it cut off? And then is that a good thing for the plant in the long run? It's good in the long run. I mean, the more, the stronger you can, you can make it obviously the better it's, you kind of have to coddle this, this zoysia grass and get it going. And it takes a little bit more to get it established and in the ground, but it's a real, it's a real hardy grass and it can really take a lot. It can take a beating and take a drought. It's real drought tolerant and we're, we're really going to see what it can do, but that's down the line once it's in. Obviously that, I think that's a big part of, of where you are. And I, I think when you think about it, when you t- you're talking about, we're not going to water it a ton. And obviously you're in the part of the country where water is a, is a big deal. You, you know, drought is a, is a, and water is a hot topic in, in California. Um, the decision to go with this zoysia, was it largely, you know, part play playability and what exactly type of grass is it uh, with the zoysia and part playability? But, you know, talk a little bit about the drought resistance and, and what that gives you in an area of the country where water is a very, you know, touchy subject. 
Um, I mean, it's, I think a lot of it was the low input when they made the decision to go with the Zoysia. And then we were running Xeon Zoysia in the fairways and T's, and then greens are going to be a prism Zoysia. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the drought tolerance, just to, for some numbers, we've been running about four to five minutes a day total on the eighth fairway, which is pretty well grown in. It's about 80 to 90% covered right now. And it looks, looks fantastic. Um, but we've been watering about five minutes a day and some stretches where the temperatures have been seventies and eighties. And we're holding about 50% moisture down about four and a half inches deep, which seems high, but the way our soils are and they're not the best, but I think it's going to work out for us. They're holding wet. They stay wet underneath, but they get pretty hard on top. So they really don't take a lot of water. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Toro. For more than a century with cutting edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. So, can you tell me about the sheep? And uh, are you are you the one that that is in charge of them? So, I'm going to tell them I'm going to tell our shepherd where the where to take them pretty much. And that's my extent of it. Explain the sheep, explain the sheep for those that don't aren't aware. So we have, we have about 68 sheep, I believe out in the pen right now. Um, and the ultimate goal is to try to move them around the golf course and incorporate them into our maintenance practices, um, and get away from string trimmers and rough mowers and all that sort of stuff. So logistically, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to figure out and see what we can do and what we can't do. But that's part of what we want to do here. And part of our ideology here is we're, we're learning as we go. We're not going for that instant gratification of having it done on a set date. We're going to figure stuff out and what works and what doesn't work. But we're hoping to incorporate them as much as we can and not make them so much as a novelty, but an actual piece of what we're doing. So so you hired a, a shepherd? Yes. Did you hire her? The owner, the owners hired her. I wouldn't even know what to ask her if it was up to me. Uh, but yeah, she's coming in and and she's going to coordinate with us, and she'll be part of our staff more or less on the golf maintenance side. But when it comes to the the health and the well being and shearing and all the stuff that goes into them, that's all her her domain. And we're going to try to figure out a way to move them through the golf course and get them to gnaw some stuff down because there's not a there's not a mower that can do what they do out in those native areas. When we have them in their, in their electric fences and their temporary pens, what they do, it, it looks really cool and it makes for a really cool native area. Um, and if there's anyone that can recreate that with a weed whacker, then they have a job out here. What, how's it different? Obviously native areas, I think are where so many clubs struggle because what happens is they have this idea of this low input, native area that oh it's gonna be great it's gonna look great it's gonna play great and we are gonna have to put a lot of work into it and what ends up happening is they end up being the most work and they end up unplayable that while they bring this great aesthetic they they kind of you know 
require a ton of inputs from them uh, between labor and uh, you know growth regulator, whatever it may be, and and they end up being kind of a nuisance for the golfers. How what what is it that a sheep um, grazed native brings? Like what what are we looking at in terms of uh, you know you said it's a great native. What what does that mean? So they take it down pretty much. They take it on most of the dirt and spots and they move around and they leave, they leave just these little tufts. It's like those long, those long fescue plants that you'll see every now and then they just leave a couple of those all over the place and it's real spotty and it looks real natural. And it's that, it's that natural look that we're going for where it's not fairway mowed rough at two inches and then native out past that. It's going to be, we kind of want it to blend out as best as we can and they can take it down to the dirt and down to that fairway height. And they can also leave some, some cool looking tufts where you'll never know. You don't know what lie you're going to get in there, but you'll probably find your ball. So that's more or less what we're looking for. Yeah. That I, I think that's like actually my favorite. I was at the country club last year and some of their native was completely mown down with a weed whacker. And I kind of thought to myself, like this is ideal because you have like these patchy parts, like where there's grass tough, but then there's the dirt. And your ball could sit up perfectly on one of those grass grass tufts, and it could be like it's on a tee. But if you get just if it rolls a half revolution, then it ends up on the other side of the grass tuft, and you're starting to wonder what do I do? And I think that's a kind of an ideal scenario for an out of play area where you know you hit if you hit your ball in there, you're almost like it's like you're you have that thrill of a blind shot. You don't know what's my lie going to be like while you're in your heart kind of beats a little bit faster. I think that's a really cool dimension of golf. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then the other part of the sheep is kind of James's whole idea with this with this property and um kind of kind of meshing old, the old century and the new century into it. He was born he was born 150 years too late. Everyone jokes about he loves the old style. Um, and we wanted to look, we wanted to have that look and those sheep kind of bring us back. It's nothing new necessarily. It's, it's just older than people get. It's just old. Well, I think it's going to be a big juxtaposition from, you know, if you go just down the road to Napa, the golf in Napa is, is very lush and, you know, it's, it's a lot of tourists that are traveling in expecting that resort golf experience and you're going to ha- go over the hill to to your to Middleton town and you're going to be in a completely different place like it is going to feel so much more like the area you know it's going to look natural because it's of of that aspect of 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 um the you know the maintenance practices tell us about the sheep and and their productivity like uh, what are we how often would say when you're up and running how often is the pen moving is this a daily move like do the sheep just handle one area how big's the pen like if you could paint it and obviously most people you know almost everybody is not going to be on property like what what kind of um give us a look at what this what the sheep are going to look like on opening day so that's that's what we have to figure out, and that's what we're hopefully trying. We're going to try to start figuring out that plan this summer and try to find out a way to move them around effectively to where they're getting stuff done, and but they're covering enough at a time. So my initial thought, just when when they mentioned it to me, was if you could get half of the half of the herd on the front nine and half on the back nine, and keep them on a hole for two days, and then move them to the next hole, so they'd be on one and ten and two and eleven and just move them through the golf course in two separate, two separate flocks on the front and back and 
maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe it's not, but it's, it's going to take a lot of trial and error and we're excited to figure it out. Excited to see what, what it takes. I imagine too, then there's going to be areas of like where there's a bunch of holes that are packed together, having been out there, you know, there are, it's a core Crenshaw design. So you're going to have these returning spots of interest where the, the course kind of weaves all together. There are going to be areas where like, you know, there's three or four holes near each other. They're going to be able to knock out a bunch. It, it's going to be, I mean, and then they just cross the fairway into another area. How, I mean, when do you move the sheep even? We'll probably have to do it at night or early morning before play, um, especially because we're, we're dog friendly out here. And that's our goal is if dogs, if your dog is able to be off leash and, and, and control itself, then we, it's more than welcome out here with us. Uh, my dog comes and runs around. Our assistance dogs runs around. Um, but that could also be bad because my dog broke into the electric fence a couple of weeks ago and was herding them around the fence or herding them around the pen. And I had to run in there and grab her out. And Zeus did what Zeus does and picked his head up, looked at me and put his head back down. So he, he wasn't really in the mood that day. But um, yeah, we'll probably have to move when when people aren't here and that's going to be the fun part again is like you said, there's those big zones where they can sit in the middle for two weeks at a time and knock a whole bunch down and do a bunch of good in between a couple holes. But there's also some zones along the property line out on six and seven where there's not a whole lot of room for them. And we're going to figure out if we can even put them out there, if that's going to be machine mode. And it all comes down to, to the hole in itself, each individual hole and where they can go and where they can't go. Um, based off size because obviously they like a bigger zone. They can knock out a lot in a short amount of time. When you think about maintenance, I always, especially when you go to some places like in my mind, I, I have like Wingfoot in my mind where you have your fair, your kind of smaller strip of fairway grass. And then you have just a load of irrigated turf uh, rough. That's just rough. That's maintained and it's bone. And I think about all the time, that's spent by staff on a mower mowing this grass. That's relatively, you know, my, anybody that's mowed a big yard of, of grass, it's, it's relatively mindless. It's a great time to knock out podcasts. It's a great time to think about things, but you know, you, you're, you're just sitting there mowing. It, you're taking out a huge chunk of, of man hours with these sheep. Um, you know, I don't know if you're privy to this, like what's the upfront, cost and in the you know versus you know long term if this works out i imagine you're you come out way ahead because of equipment and everything for sure i mean on top i mean for out here if we wanted to mow all of the the native that you want to call it where we would have the sheep if we want to mow that down with machines i mean we're gonna you're looking at three to four mowers which is three to four more people to operate those mowers um and the labor hours itself that comes with it, it's, it's in, it's a big amount of money. I mean, over a couple of years and it's going to get into six figures by the time that we buy the mowers and pay for the labor and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it gets pretty expensive. I think we'll save a lot of, save a lot of money if, if they do work out. So one question you've, you've alluded to James and for those that don't know, that's James Duncan. He's an associate for the core Crenshaw team and, and a real driving force behind this project. Obviously Bill and Ben have been heavily involved as well. 
I'm I'm curious. You you come from Clear Creek, which is another uh, Core and Crenshaw uh, golf course. What's the approach been like with them? You know, in the design process. Obviously, the golf course is really coming to life now. Um, how's that been working with it as a superintendent? Who I imagine at Clear Creek, it was a situation where you knew you know, what the golf course was, but you weren't really part privy to the information that you're now getting at the growing stage. What, how has that been? It's been awesome. So the main, I mean, I met Bill a couple of weeks ago, he came out and we walked around the course. Mainly it was trying to figure out all the old fairway, where the fairway lines were or where all the lines were, or where all the grass was supposed to be. Um, this past winter with the rain, a lot of, a lot of weeds came in on stuff that was previously finished. Um, so since I got here, we were trying to mow stuff down and, and find some of those old lines and get them prepped so that we can do the grassing this year. Um, and it, but it was really cool to kind of see him work through a hole as we walked it and kind of did explain why this was here. And the fairway came out to this side for this reason. And it was really cool to watch him in action and kind of re go back through the entire golf course and, and explain why things were the way they were. I imagine it was just like kind of like a tour and, you know, of uh, and a, like a, a class on golf architecture in a way, right? Yeah, it was, it was a tour of a place that I've been working for two months and things that I had no idea were even out here were out here. There were some teas that we found that got weeded out that I didn't know existed, but we we made our way through and we're, we're working working to find it back every day. Was there anything like, is, do you have a specific example of something that he explained that you otherwise may have not understood and maintained differently than you plan to now? Yeah, actually I have a good, so the sixth hole, there's two fairway bunkers that are on the left side of the fairway. I thought they were in the middle of the, of the fairway. Cause there were a couple of heads that got put in that might not have been necessary to the left of those bunkers. So we, we were mowing it down and getting it ready to till. We were mowing down below these bunkers. So the bunkers looked like they sat in the middle of the fairway, whereas they should be on the left side of the fairway. So we, that was that was new to us. But The sheep just got a little bit extra room to roam. Exactly. We, they, we pushed them in and we're, now we have a little bit, little bit of an area for them. <laughs> so you're at the springing phase with a lot of holes. Um, you know, walk us through kind of what the next... Uh, what the, what the next year looks like for brambles or hopefully looks like, obviously you're, you're kind of at the will of mother nature with a lot of stuff, but you know, what, what kind of is, is, what are you looking at the next year? So this year's fully grassing, um, a hundred percent. And then a little bit of maintenance on the, we have a couple greens, tees and fairways that got grass last year that are coming in really well. Um, so it's, it's the added maintenance on those, which is top dressing those greens and making sure as they fill in, they're not getting too spongy, um, fertilizing that stuff, keeping pushing it through the summer when it's growing at its best, which the zoysia loves the heat. Um, so we just got to keep pushing it, top dressing it, fertilizing it, um, getting those to as good as they can this summer and then getting all the new stuff established and, and really filling in. But we'd like to be fully grassed sometime in august hopefully by by mid-august we have the entire golf course planted um and then the stuff that we're putting out early this summer should be should be pretty filled in as well as the stuff last year and obviously the stuff that we put out this year is going to be the first stuff to fill in but it's just a lot of a lot of grass going down a lot of water flying a lot of fertilizers flying a lot of 
lot of area to take care of different ways as far as holes that we plant this week are going to be different than holes we plant in a month and how we maintain those. So there's a lot of, a lot of juggling going on. So what, when's the best grass growing time there? Uh, it gets really obviously very hot in the summer and it's very dry. Um, when, when is the ideal kind of time to grow grass? For this summer, for, for this grass, it's in the summer. It's when it's hot, hot, and hot and sunny all the time. Um, if it was, if we were planting anything else that would change, if we were doing cool seasons, it would change, but we've really been waiting for it to heat up. We get a couple, couple days where it's 75, 80, and we get excited and stuff starts popping and we're getting amped up and ready to grow some grass. And then we get a snap in the sixties and kind of deflates us for a couple of days until it warms back up. But we're really waiting for it. We really want it to get into that, that hot, hot eighties, nineties heat for us. Yeah, something that was illuminating. I, I was in San Francisco for a while, and i i made regular I made regular stops over to Lake Merced to see their project. You guys were just too far away for me to make regular stops. Um, a little too far. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, I'll be out there in the near future. But the uh, the the thing I noticed is like I imagine this is part of it is it, it, in your role is that. If I went every, if I went like two days in a row or, or, you know, a couple times in a week, if I just stopped by, it seemed like not a lot was going on. But then if you don't go back for like 10 days, you, you're like, wow, I can't believe how much stuff has happened, has happened since the last time I was here. I mean, do you feel that way? Is it, is it one of those things where day in, day out, it's kind of a grind and you feel like you're making no progress? But then when you think back to where you were a, a month ago, you're like, wow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's where pictures come in handy. I mean, I, I stand out on the eighth, the eighth hole all the time because it's our best looking one, our, our most successful one right now. And I have to go back and flip through the picture I took on the first day. And it's it looks the same as it did in my head. But when you pull up the picture, it's a totally different, totally different hole. And it, it was still dormant back then. And the more you're here and you look at it every day, like you said, it doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot. But when you go back and you look at those pictures and you kind of remind yourself what it was, it it definitely is moving a lot faster than you think it is. With uh, you talked about creating kind of like a family culture um, with a smaller staff. Uh, what what types of things are you doing to try to foster that as a manager? Just getting everyone involved in, in different things and not trying to isolate people to, to doing the same things all the time and working together. I mean, we don't have we're in that stage where we don't have a lot of individual projects to do. Everything's kind of all hands on deck and team oriented. So everyone works together all the time. Um, no one's really out on an island sitting on a mower 24 um, seven. Everyone's just together. And, it, and we, we I mean, we do lunches here every day. They, they do Costco runs and we cook lunches here for the guys every day. And everyone kind of gets along and everyone's together. But it's just the smaller it is, there's less chaos, I guess. There's less going on and everyone knows what they're doing because there's only so many people here to do it. Um, so I guess the best answer would just be keeping everyone together and on the same page, which is easy to do with smaller crews. Who's has somebody kind of um, risen to the top as the, as the chef of the, of the group? 
Uh, it's a little bit different every day. We have our, our irrigation crew. There's a team of four guys here that's been doing an awesome job. They have one more hole of irrigation to do number 17 and then the range tee. And they usually take, uh, they usually take the lead on the grill. That's for sure. Oh yeah. That's going to be interesting when they're, when they're out of there, who's going to, I, I, I'm, I'm curious how someone like, you know, becomes it is, are they going to just, are they going to just say casually one day I can cook, I can cook today. And, and then is it automatically accepted that they're the cook if they do a good job? I feel like it's like one of those things, like you never want to play darts against the guy that says they played a little bit of darts, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it seemed because they were here by themselves all winter long, even before I got here. So they were. It was just four guys here, pretty much all year, all winter, four or five guys. So they cooked for themselves, and then as we started establishing ourselves and bringing in the golf maintenance crew, they just kind of held on to it. What's been the vibe of of moving to to Middleton? Obviously, you're you're just outside. You're in Lake County. You're just outside Napa. Your 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 short drive. What's that been like for for you and your wife? Like, is that been a big adjustment? It has and it hasn't. We're both kind of, we're not city people in the slightest. So Albuquerque was a big stretch for us. Um, but we, we've really enjoyed it so far. It's, it's nice. It's quiet. We come out usually after work, I'll go home and we'll get the dog and we'll come out and just walk a couple holes out here. And it's, it's country living, which is what I'm used to. It's how I grew up in small towns. It's just on the other side of the country. Um, so it's been really, it's been really good to us. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to get up there um, and see it. You know, it's been a while and I, I probably should send you some of the photos I, I took because I might have some of those grassing lines you're looking for. <laughs> well, yeah, whenever you uh, whenever you make it up, I'll show you some of the pictures that we have still we have too, and kind of where things are going. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get out there and you've probably got a million things to do. So I'm, I'm going to let you go. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, how can people find you if they want if they want to hear more about what you're doing? You know, if they're, if they're a superintendent, ask what have questions about uh, about your Zoisha. How do they get get in touch with you? Uh, I'm on. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, and that's pretty much. I'm on LinkedIn, and I do have an Instagram. I don't really use it, but that's pretty. That's pretty much it. So, we'll we'll see you soon. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to our superintendent series and thank you to Tyler for his time. Today's episode was edited by the wonderful Meg Adkins. Thank you, Meg. As a reminder, we are heading, we're nearing another major championship. We've got some content up. If you have not yet, we just released a uh, really great video on, on Southern Hills in my mind. To step up, we had Gil Hans that was in the video uh, talking about southern hills and the unique challenges it will present it is on youtube so you should go over there subscribe to our youtube channel it's just the fried egg if you go to youtube.com backslash the fried egg uh you'll find our youtube uh page and there you should see the southern hills video front and center subscribe watch that video uh, and if you like it send it to a friend thanks again and we'll be back on friday with an episode about the 2021 PGA.